0: Uh, We're not going to spend our whole time there, but we'll get started in the book of Proverbs. And we'll take a look at chapter 8 to begin with, Proverbs chapter 8. Hope that you've had a a good day today. Today is the Lord's day and that you've spent some time uh, thinking about that and our relationship with Him and the blessings that we have as His children. Of course, we spent time in worship this morning, and uh, we trust that that's been time well spent and uh, we benefited from it. And then uh, even in the in-between time, between the time we left this morning and the time we got back, we still spent some time thinking about what the Lord has done for us and our relationship with Him. The the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. It's about practical wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes is about wisdom, but in a way it's kind of a different approach to wisdom. The book of Proverbs is a book about how to get along with your neighbor and and how to make good choices in life. The book of uh, Ecclesiastes is more about what's the meaning of life? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And so it's no wonder then that we find a a lot of talk in the book of Proverbs about wisdom and the acquisition of wisdom and how wisdom can benefit us. It it begins in that way. For example, Proverbs chapter 1 says... The proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, uh, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wisdom and counsel, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so right away we have a contrast between wisdom and the acquisition of wisdom and being a fool and spurning the acquisition of wisdom. If you go down a little bit further in this very first chapter, look at verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her saying, How long, O naive ones, those who are without wisdom, foolish people, how long will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel. You did not want my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. And when your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. And so when a foolish person's calamity comes on him, and then he calls out, "Oh no, I'm in big trouble." And now he tries to acquire some wisdom, it's, it's too late. And suffer so the consequences of his foolishness, his rejection of wisdom. Look at chapter 8 of the book of Proverbs in verse 12. And here wisdom again calls out and and uh, seeks people to embrace her. Here we have described for us some of the benefits of uh, developing wisdom and acquiring wisdom. Now you remember This is wisdom in the fear of the Lord. It's not worldly wisdom or secular wisdom or without God wisdom. It's wisdom in the fear of the Lord. It's the wisdom that comes to us from observing the Lord's teaching and putting it into practice. And so verse 12 he says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate counsel is mine and sound wisdom i am understanding power is mine by me kings reign rulers decree justice by me princes rule and nobles all who judge right rightly i love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me riches and honor with me enduring wealth and righteousness my fruit is better than gold even pure gold and I yield better than choice is silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice. I endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasures. And he continues. And so there you see the benefit of wisdom. If you acquire wisdom and you learn to make good choices, your life is going to be a whole lot better than if you ignore wisdom and you live in a foolish sort of way. You're just going to bring trouble on yourself. And so the Bible encourages us and... No uncertain terms, as strongly as it can, to be wise people, to acquire wisdom. Now, with that in mind, let's go to the 107th Psalm, the 107th Psalm. Now, I've been reading from the book of Psalms recently, and I've developed some lessons from individual Psalms over the last few weeks and uh, finished up reading the book of Psalms the other day. And so so, uh, this might be the last one of that type. But look at the very last verse of the 107th psalm who is wise let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord and so he calls upon us if we are wise consider think about the loving kindnesses of the Lord so that's what we're going to talk about tonight whenever I read a passage like this I think you know that we, we should do that If the Bible tells us, now if you're wise, I want you to think about this. Think about the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Okay, well then we ought to think about the loving kindnesses of the Lord. If the Bible in such a straightforward way encourages us us to do that. And so tonight we're going to consider the loving kindnesses, or as the ESV says, the steadfast love of the Lord. And so let's think about that a little bit. Well, this is our our Hebrew word right here uh, that's translated loving kindness or steadfast love. We're going to talk about it a little bit. If you want to look it up, it's probably spelled in one of these two ways. And it's pronounced like chesed. And so I'm going to just say kindness, okay? I'm just going to say that instead of trying to pronounce it uh, the way a, a Hebrew might pronounce it. This is an important word in the Old Testament. Just to, to talk about it in general terms and talk about its meaning, it occurs 245 times in the Old Testament. Now that in itself should impress upon us the fact that this is an important word. 245 times, usually in the singular, only 18 times in the plural. Now you'll notice if you're reading from New American Standard Bible, that this is in the plural, consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. And so we're gonna talk about the significance of that maybe a little bit later on. It's translated in our English version several different ways. The uh, The King James translates this word as mercy, or kindness, or favor, or goodness. The ESV translates it as mercy, steadfast love, as here, or kindness. New American Standard Bible says loving kindness, faithfulness, the NIV, loving deeds, mercy, or love. And so from the variety of translation, we can conclude that this is is a big word. You know, it's just a few letters, but but it has a, a range of meaning. And the translators are trying to find that one English word, that that captures it sufficiently and adequately. It has such a broad range of meaning and and maybe such nuanced meanings and differences and shades of meaning. It's hard to find one English word to, to really cover it all. And so one version might say kindness and another version might say favor and another version might say steadfast love. And that gives us some, well, I might need to do a little research into the meaning of this particular word in the way that it's used. And so here are some just observations about it. It's found in close personal relationships, like family and friends. It's found among people like that, are very close. And so we find in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 8, we're going to look up, we're not going to look up all these passages. This, this, this is used to describe the relationship between Orpah and Ruth a mother-in-law, and a daughter-in-law. And it's really found in other places in the book of Ruth as well. For example, between Ruth and Boaz, and Boaz and Ruth. And so here are two people, a man and a woman, and they love each other, and they're devoted to each other, and, and they try to do good things for each other. And so this, notice, it's, it's no wonder then that this word is found in, in their relationship. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, in verses 8 and verse 14, we find it in the relationship between David and Jonathan. Remember, Saul is out to kill David, and David tells Jonathan about it, and Jonathan has a hard time believing that. And so they make an agreement that they're going to work on behalf of each other, and they're going to be loyal to each other, and they're going to perform acts of kindness to each other. And so it's found in close personal relationships. Eventually, it's found in a relationship between a host and a guest. And so someone comes to stay with another individual, stay in their home. And so the host is performing these acts of kindness and favor to the one who's staying with him. Sometimes it's found in unexpected places. For example, in the book of Genesis chapter 40 and verse 14, Joseph asks the cupbearer to do him an act of chesed to do him an act of kindness. Now, when you get restored, when you're restored to your position as cupbearer, I want you to do me a favor. That's what we would say. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to do one of these deeds for me. Remember, remember me. And so Jacob did the cupbearer a favor, and Jacob asked for a favor to be done to him in, in return. And so this particular quality is seen in the closest of human relationships, someone said, it's the virtue that knits society together. I thought that's, that's a good way to say it. It's the virtue that knits society together. And so if society is going to be close and the members of society are going to work on behalf of and for the benefit of the other members of society, they need this. <laughs> they, they need this quality. Well, a second. Uh, quality of this, or or, uh, uh, not manifestation, but uh, um, second uh, thing we'll notice about this is that it's, it's manifested in action. It's an active thing. It's not just a philosophy or just a frame of mind, although it might involve a frame of mind. It's really something that is done. And so the Old Testament talks about doing loving kindnesses and rendering loving kindness and pursuing kindness. kindness, And so it's something that is done. It's something that is performed. It manifests itself in action. So it's more than just a nice disposition toward or a kind disposition toward or, or even sympathy for. It's actually doing something for the benefit of another. Well, another thing we'll bring about, bring out about is it, it, uh, it implies an obligation to perform the same kind of action in return. And so you remember we talked about Joseph and the cupbearer a moment ago, how Joseph interpreted the dream of the cupbearer and told him, you're going to be restored to your position, and now he asked the cupbearer to do something to him in return or do something for him in return. So that's that's often... The implication it's we call this it's reciprocal so I do something for you I expect you to do something for me and so when it comes to human beings one person does an act of kindness for another and another does an act of kindness for for him now God is full of this particular quality and God has done all sorts of acts of kindness for us But it's it's not not really possible for us to be kind to God in the same way. And so how do we repay God's acts of kindness? Well, it's interesting. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 11. If God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. How do we repay God's act of kindness toward us? by being kind to one another, being kind to those who are made in God's image. And so there's still that reciprocal quality to this characteristic. Uh, And then a final idea along these lines is, is found consistently in a relationship over a long period of time There's a sense of this quality being long-lasting, continual, enduring, permanent, reliable. If you look at the 136th Psalm, the 136th Psalm, you'll find this word used, I think, 26 times. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to to the God of gods, for His loving-kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for His loving-kindness is everlasting. I didn't count them, I just noted that the number of verses was 26, and I concluded it's found 26 times in that psalm. Think the psalmist is trying to make a point about the loving-kindness or the kindness of God? Yeah, sure is. His kindness lasts forever. And so, there is this enduring quality, this long-lasting quality. And so, it's not just performing an occasional act of kindness or sporadically doing nice things for other people. No, it's it's consistent, long-lasting acts of kindness. And so, no wonder we find it in the closest personal relationships like husband and wife and parents and children and so forth. Now, because God is full of this particular quality, and He is full of this quality, look at Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, Uh, the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. God abounds in this quality. And because he abounds in this quality, it's a fundamental attribute of God's character. He's ready to intervene on behalf of his children. He gives them the victory. He executes justice for them. He saves them. He redeems them. He bestows mercy upon them. The idea conveyed by the word is constant kindness. And maybe that would be a good translation. Consider the constant kindness of the Lord. Let's go back to Psalm 107 now that we've defined what it is we're being asked to consider. And let's just uh, review the psalm. Here's here's an outline of the psalm. The first three verses contain a call to give thanks to God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, or His constant kindness is, is everlasting. And so the first three verses, a call to give thanks. And this idea of giving thanks is going to recur throughout the psalm. The second part then consists of four sections, each which describes a really bad situation, a dangerous situation, an unfortunate situation. And so we'll work our way through those four sections quickly this evening as we work through the psalm. If they follow a pattern, these particular four sections do. A bleak or dangerous situation is described. The person involved in that situation cries out to the Lord for help. The Lord responds to the cry, and then they're called upon to give thanks to God and praise Him. At the end of the psalm, or toward the end of the psalm, there's a two-part statement, of God's ability to reverse the prevailing conditions. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get there from verses 33 down through verse 42. And then, of course, there's this call at the end in verse 43 to consider the steadfast love or the constant kindnesses of the Lord. I like to continue to use that plural number in our our recalling verse 43. So let's work our way through the psalm then. Here's the first three verses. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. We don't know who the author of this particular psalm was. We don't know the date of the composition of the psalm. It may be that it was written after the captivity, and after their return. And so maybe you have a reference to that in verse 3, where He's gathered from the lands, east, west, north, and south, all the people coming back to to Jerusalem. And so that's a a possibility, but uh, uh, we are still uncertain. Can't say with certainty about that. But here's this call to give thanks for the Lord. Again, an idea that recurs throughout the psalm. You see it again in verse 8 and verse 15, verse 21 and verse 31. The reason to give thanks to the Lord is is, uh, emphasized as well. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. He is good. He is a good God. He's treated us very well. And His loving kindness is everlasting. He's redeemed us. He's delivered His people. He's brought them through bad situations. He's rescued them out of danger and trouble and suffering and hardship. When they're in distress, He brings them out. He brings them to a place of comfort. Even when it seems that they have no hope, the Lord responds. Even when they couldn't help themselves, the Lord responds. And we'll see that as we go through the next several verses. Now, let's go through these four sections in which... A bad situation is described. Remember that pattern we looked at just a moment ago. And so let's take a look at each of these. Let's begin in uh, verse 6. Well, let me see. Not verse 6. Let's begin in verse 4. They, or English Standard Version says, Some wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They didn't find a way into an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. He has sustained or satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul. He's filled with what is good. And so he talks about them wandering in the wilderness. might be tempted to associate this with that 40-year period of wandering between the Red Sea and them going into the land of Canaan. I don't know that's exactly what he's talking about. He may be talking about them going into captivity and then coming back to, to the land or maybe some other time in Israel's history when they were without a permanent place to live. And so he's simply recalling a time when they're wandering. They don't have a permanent place to live. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're in distress. They call out to the Lord, and He rescues them. He helps them. He provides for their needs. Let them give thanks. The Lord is good. His works of kindness are enduring and everlasting. In the second of these sections, he says this, Some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. They spurned the counsel of the Most High. So He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. He shatters the doors of bronze. and. Cuts in two the bars of iron. And so in this particular section, they dwell in darkness, the shadow of death. They're in such danger and such peril that the threat of death is just looming over them like a shadow. And so they're they're in real real trouble. I don't know that he's got a specific event in mind. It would be hard to associate this with any specific event in Israel's history. What we can say is they brought this on themselves, didn't they? Because you see in verse 11, they rebelled against the words of God. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. And so, because of their sin, because of their rebellion, they're suffering these very difficult times. That could apply to lots of occasions in Israel's history. The period of the judges or apostate kings like Ahab and Manasseh, maybe it refers to their captivity not an uncommon experience in Israel's history, but when they cry out to the Lord, He delivers them. And so they should give Him thanks. He shattered the gate, the iron barns, the chains that imprisoned them. There are circumstances that put them in peril and sort of held them there. It says here they couldn't help themselves. Verse 12, none to help. God came to the rescue and He, he burst. Their bonds. He freed them. He helped them. Here's the third of these sections, beginning in verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways. So here's another situation where people bring these bad circumstances on themselves. They're fools. Remember, talked about being wise and being a fool, and the advantages of being wise and the disadvantages of being fools. And so here, these fools. Uh, Through their sinful ways, because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And so they're in real trouble because of their sinful ways. They find themselves, there is such affliction, some sort of pestilence or plague or something of that sort has been sent upon them. And, And we read about that. And uh, some of the warnings that God gives His people, if you do not obey, there's going to be disease, there's going to be plague, there's going to be pestilence. And so they're experiencing that because of their sin. They brought it on themselves. But they cry to the Lord in their trouble and He delivers them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Now let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Here's a new dimension in their response. Order, uh, offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Now that involves more than, well, you know, I sure am thankful that God helped me. so here's a commitment, isn't it? This is going to some trouble to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy." Sounds like worship to me, doesn't it? (laughs) And so how do you respond to God's kindness? By expressing your gratitude, by expressing your thanksgiving, but also in worship, in acts of worship, we express our gratitude and thanksgiving. And here's the most colorful of the four. I think everybody will enjoy this from the young ones on up to the older ones. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. And so you imagine people out in the Mediterranean and they're on a ship and just imagine, look at the sea and the waves and maybe the whales are coming up and just, you know, it's quite an impressive sight. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. He commanded and raised a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They they mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. They're they're on the deck of the ship and it's so rough they, they they stagger around. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people, and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. And so here are these people. It doesn't say they brought this on themselves by their sin. They're just out in the ocean, out, out in the sea, and... Boy, the storm comes up and they're, they're in trouble. They call out to the Lord and He responds. And he, then, then they're called on to give thanks and praise God in public worship. What we find in the next section, the next couple of sections, is God's ability to change the course. God's ability to reverse the situation. And that, that's a major theme throughout the Bible. God's ability to reverse the situation. He can exalt the humble. He can bring down, He can humble the exalted. Uh, Those who are in sin, He can redeem and rescue. Those who are proud, He can bring down. Major theme throughout the Bible, and you see it reflected here. You see, He turns rivers into a desert. Springs of water into thirsty ground. A fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert, on the other hand, into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow uh, fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield, and his blessing they, by his blessing they, greatly, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. And so you rebel against the Lord, he's able to turn your good situation into a bad one. You serve the Lord, he's able to turn your bad situation into a good one. And then the next and final section, when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he, that's, you know, God is the one who's changing the situation. That's emphasized throughout. He changes the situation. He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the constant kindnesses of the Lord. The plural constant kindnesses suggests he's talking not about the idea that God is kind, but the particular specific acts of kindness that you may see in your life. we got about five minutes to go. Let's make some applications. What acts of kindness has God done in your life? You know, it's one thing to think about God as kind and committing acts of kindness. He's always done that. We've seen some cases here in this particular psalm. We might note others in the Bible. Noah, Abraham, Joseph, the parting of the Red Sea, giving the city of Jericho to the Israelites. Dustin talked about that this morning. The Davidic covenant, Hezekiah's recovery from illness. And so there are lots of acts of kindness performed by God in the Bible. But we should also think about specific acts of kindness that God has performed in our lives all right if we're considering the constant kindnesses of the lord that's a legitimate question to ask what has god done for you what's he done for you what's he done for me it's something more i'm asking you to think about specific things something more than you know god's been awfully good to me now that's true That's not exactly what we're asking tonight. Something more specific than that. For most of us, God has provided food and clothing and shelter. Now, there's a lot of people in the world, they don't have that. If you watch the news, you see lots of people in the world, they don't have that. Now, God has provided food for me. I'm going to probably eat too much of it tonight, you know. He's provided some shelter for me. He's provided clothing for me. A lot of people don't have those things, but I do. That's some of the acts of kindness that God has performed. For many of us, God has provided a good family. have a good family. Even in less than perfect families, there's some good to be found. Even in less than perfect families. But for a lot of us, we've got a good family that God has blessed us with. For many of us, we have a reasonable portion of health. You ever heard that expression before? <laughs> yeah. For most of us, many of us, now we might not be perfectly healthy, but we have a reasonable portion of health. That's an act of kindness from the Lord. For most of us, we have an adequate standard of living. And so God has performed some specific acts of kindness in our lives. We, we need to think about that. Need to think, in light of what he says here, give that some consideration. If we're wise, we'll do that. For some of us, God has performed extraordinary acts of kindness, a healing of some kind, a financial bounty, rescue from some danger. And so have you, can you look back in your life and see, you know, wow, I, I can't believe that I got out of that situation. That, that was dangerous. And yet, here we are. It's an act of kindness. Or how about, what I've called an extraordinary confluence of events. (laughs) Can you look back at your life and say, you know what, if I had been in that place at that time and met that person, if I turned right instead of left, no telling where I would be today. Has God brought together an extraordinary confluence of circumstances in your life to get you where you are? You think about that. That's what He's calling upon us to think about in this psalm. Though we may tend to think in physical terms, and that's what we've talked about up to this point, it's best applied to us in spiritual situations. What was your spiritual condition before you became a Christian? Where where were you before you became a Christian? Were you adrift with no direction? Like verses 4 and 5 in Psalm 107, they they can't find a permanent home, they're wandering around, hungry and thirsty? Does that figuratively <coughs> describe your situation before you became a Christian? If so, did God respond to that? To bring you where you are now? Were you in trouble because of re- your rebellion in sinful ways like sections 2 and 3? Maybe you're in trouble with the law or trouble with your parents or struggling with other adverse situations because of your foolish decisions your poor financial decisions, or your addictions, or habits, or practices? Were you alone with no one to turn to because of your sin? Was that your situation? Did God respond and provide a way out of these circumstances? If so, you need to give that some consideration. And this particular psalm focuses on what God has done for His covenant people. Now, not for those outside the covenant, but for His covenant people. So have you, even after becoming a Christian, found yourself in situations where spiritually you're just adrift? You're not really focused. You're not growing. You're just sort of out there wandering around spiritually. Or you're in trouble because of your foolish, sinful decisions. You've rebelled against the teaching of the Lord. you find yourself in trouble with the law or trouble with your parents or trouble at work? You know, as a Christian... Have you found yourself in those kinds of situations? If so, did you call out to the Lord in your distress? Did He hear you and provide deliverance? Consider the constant kindnesses of the Lord in your life. Think about specific situations. Not just, oh, God's been really good to me. Think about specific situations and what God has done for you. And if... You have experienced these things. Here's how we need to respond. Respond with thanksgiving. Thankfulness is an important feature of our relationship with God. Did you know that unthankful people are not right with God? Unthankful people, (laughs) ingrates, that they're not right with God. Remember Romans chapter 1, Paul is describing the Gentile world and their decline and descent away from God. You know what one of their fundamental problems was? Verse 21, they knew God, but they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They weren't thankful for God's constant kindness, and so they just drifted further and further away from God, further and further into immorality. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. Un- we live in, do we live in an ungrateful world? <laughs> Seems like it sometimes, doesn't it? By way of contrast, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18 says, In everything give thanks. You know, we as God's people need to be thankful all the time. It's interesting how Paul begins his letters. Almost every one of them, I won't say every one, but almost every one of them begins with a note of thanks. I thought about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for example, because you know, Paul kind of had a stormy relationship with the Corinthians. But when he write, writes to them, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you in Christ Jesus. Boy, I'm thankful for you. Now, I know we've got some contention among us or between us, but I'm thankful for what God has done in your life. We need to be thankful people always. The 116th Psalm, we've been looking at the 107th Psalm, but if you turn over just a couple of pages, the 116th Psalm in verse 12 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? That's a good question, isn't it? What am I going to repay the Lord with? How how am I going to respond to the Lord for all the good things He's done for me? Thankfulness should be both expressed verbally and demonstrated in our action. Respond with thanksgiving. When you think about the constant kindnesses of the Lord, I sure am thankful. And we say that, and we put it into practice in our in our life we show our thankfulness to the lord the other way we respond is in praise and worship now we noted that as we went through the 107th psalm calls to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving in verse 22 and extolling god in the congregation of the people we saw that in verse 32 extolling him in the congregation Praising God in the assembly or the congregation is a recurring idea in psalms. And so the Lord has helped me. I'm going to praise Him in the congregation of the people. I'm going to extol Him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to sing His praises in worship, in public worship, when I've gathered together with other people. Look at the 111th psalm in verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. When we're truly thankful... You know, we, we, I think we have an urge, maybe is the right word, or at least an adequate word, to praise Him and praise Him publicly and just unreservedly in the company of others who are giving thanks. Is there a link between thankfulness and worship? What do you think? Is there a link between being thankful to God for His loving kindness and worshiping God. I, I believe there there is a link. The psalmist, you see, was glad to go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122. And there may have been many reasons for that he was glad to go to the house of the Lord, but one of them was thankfulness. Verse 4. To which the tribes go up to the house of the Lord, even the tribes of the Lord an ordinance for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. I was glad when I, they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. We're going to go up there and we're going to give thanks to the Lord. Yeah, there is a link, isn't there, between gratitude and worship. Does neglect of the assembly and neglect of worship, public worship in the assembly of the Lord, and lack of zeal for worship suggest a lack of gratitude? Yeah, I think so. A lack of interest in worship, going to the house of the Lord, going to the great assembly, uh, uh, just a, a neglect of that, disinterest in that really reflects a lack of gratitude, a lack of thankfulness. See our problem is not so much the skill with which we carry out worship, it's more likely within us. So if we neglect or we're not enthused or we have little zeal for worship, it's not the skill with which we carry out the singing. It's not necessarily the skill with which the preacher preaches the sermon. It's it's within us. It's a lack of gratitude. It's a lack of godly fear. It's those attitudes within us that create the problem. And so, think about the blessings that we've received from God. Consider once again where we were spiritually. And what God has done for us. And if we have a clear understanding of these things. Praising God in the great assembly. That won't be a problem will it? We'll be glad. As the psalmist was. We'll be glad to go to the house of the Lord. Appreciate your patience tonight. We're a little bit past time. You're not really surprised by that are you? I hope we've had some things to say that are worth considering this evening. that we will give some consideration to them. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunities we've had today to come together and to worship you and to to sing songs uh, that build each other up and that bring praise and honor to your name, to pray together, to remember the death of Jesus together, to look into your word and be encouraged and challenged by it. Help us, Father, this week to think of that one that we might share the gospel with, and we might talk to about the Lord and about following Him. Help us, Father, to consider, think about your constant kindness, your constant continual acts of kindness that you've done for us throughout the course of our lifetime, both physically and spiritually. Help us, Father, to be thankful. Help us to express that gratitude in word and deed. And help us, Father, to praise your name and to glorify you in, in worship along with others who have experienced your same acts of kindness. And that our praise and our worship will go up to you and be pleasing to you in your sight and in your ears. Help us, Father, take these things we've talked about today and may they draw us closer to you and make us more faithful disciples of you and of your Son and we pray these things in his name. Amen. If you're not a-